Andres, you like you play a lot of instruments, right? Uh, uh, poorly, yeah. Ukulele, tiny bit of guitar. <laughs> Multi instrumentalist. Drums, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and yeah, not not very well. So but in in my mind, I was going to ask yeah. whether have you ever done like proper composing, like on a piece of paper with notation? God, no, and all that. No, no, we used, no? we used to write songs in a circle and just kind of remember chord progressions. And sorry, when you said write them in a circle, you mean it was a circular piece of paper? No. That's a good idea. That no, you'd sit in a circle. No, we'd sit in a circle with uh, three, four people and just jam, like improvise, and then take something oh, and turn it into a song. Yeah. Please, what was it? Please tell me there was a campfire in the middle of the circle. Uh, occasionally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or a wood stove if we're inside in the winter, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Or, or a, a, a carved effigy of a primitive god. Yeah, they call it woodshedding. Pardon? They call it woodshedding. Woodshedding. Yeah. Because you're playing out in someone's woodshed or something like that and making noise where you're... Letting it rip. Yeah, 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 exactly. If if that was a thing in Britain, that would definitely mean something. I know it would be like dogging (laughs) and cottaging. Yeah, yeah, you guys have those great terms for that, yeah. (laughs) Really, pretty much every every British slang term for anything would probably mean something sexual, doesn't it? Welcome, everyone, to the Two Real Cinema Club. My name is Andres Lorente. And I'm James Uzikin. And uh, every episode on the Two Real Cinema Club, we watch two movies, we watch a new movie, and we watch an old movie. And then we try and figure out, well, does anything connect these two movies? Why on earth do we choose them? Why are we talking about them? Um, And this week, it's not just the two of us you have to listen to. We have a guest. We do, and it's a good thing we have a guest, because our number one doctor, Dr. James Rizika, is currently patient zero, (laughs) sounding a little ill. So we've got backup. We've brought her in. You've heard her voice, her lovely, lovely voice before. She's a screenwriter's screenwriter, a teacher, and she's been along for the ride in the past. Uh, You remember her from last year when we reviewed Wakanda and Quilombo, our Portuguese expert. And our well, it was Wakanda, Wakanda forever, Wak- wasn't it? It was Wakanda. Was a measure of how long the film oh went on. Oh my god, it did. <laughs> it's still echoing in my brain. Wakanda <laughs> goes on forever. Um, she's been along for the ride as the third reel of the two reel cinema club in the past, and we've invited her again, and she, we were very surprised to say to hear her say yes, she would join us. Ladies and gentlemen, Inesh Braga, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be back. And uh, yes, I think you need me a lot after Jimmy being so ill. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why you called me back, right? As a backup. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy. Um, to- so we, we feel really... We, but you, we have literally uh, 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 dragged you away from the beach to be on the yes. podcast, haven't we? What a drag. Um, <laughs> oh, it was great. It was a New Year's Eve tradition, but this year was easier. Last year was dreadful, but this year was sunny and nice and the water was warm. So I was very lucky. So Lovely to jump in the water and now have this very insightful podcast to come to. <laughs> Especially the parts that you uh, talk. One of those, one of those two <laughs> things is going to be disappointing. Um, <laughs> right. So tonight, tonight, uh, we are going to gather around the piano. Then we <laughs> gather in a circle, sing a few songs, uh, and then follow it up with a knife fight. Uh, that's, that's an average evening in my house. We, so we have watched uh, the new Leonard Bernstein biopic, Maestro, uh, out now on Netflix, uh, and we're going to line it up 
for a street punk dance off against you know the kind of film within a film from that film. Uh, we're going to line it up with 1961's West Side Story. Um, are you guys still singing the songs? I am. Yeah. I am now, anyway. Constantly. I actually have the original uh, soundtrack on vinyl, so I've been listening oh, to it do? as well. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've just started listening to vinyl again, set up my uh, new stereo system, and that was one of the first things I put on. Wow. So you are Amazing. literally living your life yeah. in reverse, aren't you? you haven't, haven't you recently got rid of your big TV yes. and you got rid of your surround sound, yep. and now you're listening to music on vinyl? Well, yeah, wax recording. It'll be a gramophone yeah. next. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, but it's such a great, honestly, I was listening to it, and I, it's so moving, isn't it? First of all, like, it really does, it's just so catchy, and the songs are just so powerful and iconic that yeah. I have so many memories of singing along with my parents, you know, watching the movie with my dad. I think we all have these memories of our um, youth, and, yeah, it was just such an incredible an incredible film. I think, well, we won't talk about it too much now. We'll leave it to later. But yeah, the songs really, right. I think it's a testament to his genius, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. Leonard Bernstein was really, really incredible, like a visionary. Well, speaking of Bernstein. Did I call him Bernstein? No, Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, Lenny. 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 Lenny Bernstein. Absolutely. So this film is called Maestro. Hmm. Um, and it's directed by Bradley Cooper, who also wrote it, with Josh Singer, who uh, wrote more recently, I guess, Spotlight and The Post, a couple of newspaper films, and um, First Man, which I did not see. Uh, it's the Damien Chazelle film, isn't it? it? I haven't yeah. seen that. Isn't it a space it, film? It's, yeah, it, it is. It doesn't about, strike me as a film that prays to Damien Chazelle's strength. Yeah, it's about, uh, I think, the, the first lunar landing in 1969, or, uh, or how they got there. Anyway. Right, so no jazz instruments at all, presumably, in that mm, film. No, a lot of technical instruments, but no musical instruments right. that I know oh. of. Um, which is interesting because his first film, uh, which was the uh, the drumming film, Whiplash. Yes, that's it. Um, drumming, and then La La Land, of course, musical. So, I mean, he's a tertiary character in this, but he did work with Josh Singer, and uh, Josh Singer also worked on uh, the Great American Television series West Wing. So ah. he's got some credits to his name. Um, I have this pegged at approximately eighty million dollars worth of film. Really. Earning a little under four hundred thousand thus far, according to IMDb. So Oof. Gosh, really? that's because I think it had a limited series, uh, limited limited uh, theatrical run. The film feels a lot like uh, award season fodder, doesn't yeah. it? Like uh, you've got some yeah. big actors and big directors, big production, and yet yeah. it went to Netflix fairly soon in its release. It um, premiered at Venice. It was nominated for like a, a Golden Lion. It didn't win, but yeah, it was okay. a, there was a big uh-huh. Venice buzz, which is normally very good yeah. for awards, isn't it? Feels like an awards season film to yeah. me. Yeah. Features Carrie Mulligan as well as. Uh, Leonard Bernstein's wife, Felicia Montealegre. Uh, Maya Hawk is their daughter, mm-hmm. I think their oldest daughter. And Sarah Silverman is also in there as well. Um, big thing for Bradley Cooper. Obviously a labor of love, having written it, um, produced it, directed it, acted in it. Yeah, I think it's interesting to note, I think, I, I didn't know this before, but I read that it was actually Steven Spielberg who gave him the shot, basically. Like very much Leonard Bernstein, who um, started because of the illness of the, the actual conductor. I think this one was basically 
Spielberg was going to do it. Well, I think Scorsese was initially attached to the project and then he went off to do Irishman and he gave it to Spielberg and Spielberg then mm. went off to shoot West Side Story and um, yes, and uh, offer it to to him after watching A Star Is Born. I haven't seen A Star Is Born, but it is also a film about you know, two talented yeah. people, one of whom overshadows the other, isn't yeah. that right? Ooh. Very much. Do you see a theme emerging? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is a trend. And, and how does the hangover fit into that theme exactly? <laughs> uh, this film opens in color on Leonard Bernstein, old and alone at a piano, um, slowly revealing a camera crew filming him thinking of and talking of his wife, Felicia Montalegre, and quoting her in... For me, what is kind of a red herring of a theme, she, uh, he says uh, that she said to him, if summer doesn't sing in you, nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, you can't make music. <laughs> we quickly go to black and white and what I think is the money shot of the whole film. It's this yeah. sort of closed apartment shade and it looks to me like a theater court and, and he's, he holds on this image. You're in darkness mm. for quite a while, but it really looks like a stage that's being lit from behind as they do it at night, but the curtain is pulled shut. It's a, it's a still shot that starts moving after a very long take. It reveals more and more, and it's, it actually is, at one point, a theater that Leonard Bernstein runs into because he's been uh, sort of uh, notified that he has to conduct uh, on short notice to um, cover for the uh, musical conductor. Is it Bruno Walter or someone like that who has fallen ill? Um, Walter. He basically takes that opportunity, and he becomes a conductor. He does very, very well, and it's sort of where you see immediately Bradley Cooper's just incarnation of Leonard Bernstein. He just walks beautifully like Bernstein. Mm. He conducts very well. He has the nose of Bernstein. He uh, speaks like Bernstein. So he does a great job inhabiting this character. Um, and we start to see bits of his friendships with Jerome Robbins and Aaron Copeland. And we also see that he's clearly in love with, well, men, but also cigarettes. <laughs> um, and early on, David Oppenheim, who's I think a clarinetist, he appears to be uh, Bernstein's lover. And I think we see that opening scene starts with them sort of in bed. He gets the phone call. He's basically given the opportunity he can't refuse. And it's sort of answering the call, the ringing of the bell. And it leads him to uh, quite a bit of fame in the world of orchestral music. Mm -hmm. Soon after, he meets Felicia Montalegre, and this is kind of one of Jane, James's uh, favorite film moments, I think, because uh, they clearly have been getting to know each other at a party. They're inhaling cigarettes and one another's <laughs> backgrounds. As they review what they've learned, um, there's some blatant and unapologetic exposition known to Dr. Azika <laughs> as, let me tell you who you are. Is that right, James? Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Oh my God! Oh, so I, I wrote. Yeah, I, I wrote it. I wrote in my uh, in my notes. This is not a meat cute. This is a meat dull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that all the smoking was what, what had my attention. But you get you get all there, the information of where they come from. She's sort of uh, this elegant actress who comes from. I think she's Costa Rican. Obviously, has a, a London. Originally, I think she's Costa Rican, and then yeah. she moved to Chile. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so she's she, just uh, very international, very cosmopolitan. He's this uh, up-and-coming uh, conductor, as we know, but they sort of tell each other who they are. Um, and the, the theme statement emerges in this moment. The world wants us to be only one thing. Isn't that deplorable? <laughs> and that, the whole film, I, I would argue that there's sort of a central irony in this film because it sort of begins to view Leonard mostly as his... Uh, 
his sexual life, I think, and a little bit less as a conductor, composer, and a musician. So um, there's obviously this theme that's going to run throughout. Uh, she's an actor. He's a musician. They're both successful. They fall in love fast, and they live in this agreement that he can play around with men and boys, and uh, she can be his beard. And uh, though complaining of not being able to be who he is uh, due to the times, I guess, um, he embraces hiding in, in in society in order to be happy, I guess. And Felicia points out, you don't know how much you need me, do you? Mm. So she sort of acts as a guardian to him. Um, the film sort of shifts to color at this point. Um, he conducts, she watches, she supports. He should be composing. Um, and then there's this big 70s party where she sees him flirting around with a younger man. And kissing him, and uh, she tells him uh, he's getting sloppy. And then the argument sort of um, emerges, again, supporting this theme throughout the film of, uh, she says to him, don't you dare tell the truth. Um, mm. Your truth is a lie. Um, he, Should we ring and, the spoiler bell, do you think? Yeah, I think this is about the point where I would ring a spoiler bell. Or maybe some sort of chime from the orchestra would be more appropriate oh. for this episode. <laughs> yes, a tubular spoiler bell. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I especially want to ring that because I, I don't want to spoil, for people who haven't seen the film, what is maybe my favourite moment in the whole film, which is oh, exactly good. that scene you were talking about. Oh, okay, where good. they're having this very heartfelt argument. And then just as the argument comes to a close, an enormous inflatable Snoopy ambles <laughs> past the window. <laughs> I love that scene as well. <laughs> Right, spoil away. Well, I, I would invite you two to spoil as well because uh, I only have a few more things to say on the film. But yeah, this is that that's that 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 crux of the whole story is that they're 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 supporting each other. They're at odds with one another um, about this uh, this sort of secrecy, this secret life he has to live, and how she supports it. And then they 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 they, they drift apart for a little bit, but they come back together when she's. Um, diagnosed with cancer, and they sort of end their lives together. And this film ends on a shot of uh, Felicia, um, although it started on the shot of of uh, Bernstein. So it's um, I open it up to you guys. I want to hear what you think about. We could start with that sort of end of Act One or that 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 argument that they have. But um, I've got I have I have one like very film schooly question. We often ask this question. I'd be interested to know what you both think. Um, so we were all three at film school together. And one of the fundamental questions that we were always taught to ask is, whose story is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, the difference between that that opening image and the closing image. And it does raise this like question. Well, whose story is this? And I feel like the publicity is suggesting that it's Felicia's story. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think they want to try and kind of sell it as being oh, just the story of, of Lenny's wife. Um, but I kind of th- don't think it is personally. But what do you guys think? I'm not sure. You know, I think, yeah, it, it definitely is his movie, I feel. But even though I think Bradley Cooper wanted to sell it, or at least I think that's what he wanted it to be, like the anatomy of a marriage, you know, like looking into a complex marriage and the relationship between the two. I think initially Josh Singer's script was just about uh, sort of a small period of Leonard Bernstein's life, I think, in the 70s. Like, they just chose about 10 years to chronicle about 10 years of his life, and then Bradley Cooper came on and decided to focus on the relationship. And I think that was quite smart. But on the other hand, I feel that's at the expense of having a sc- 
care more deeply about them because I feel uh, there's a, a sort of a distance. A, a, I don't know. It's like there's a superficiality about it um, that made me feel a bit distant at times, even though I really love their relationship. And I think the acting is so wonderful. And technically, I think, you know, aesthetically, the film is beautiful. You know, that opening yes. shot, you know, the climax scene of the Gustav Mahler symphony is just incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have these amazing cinematic moments and I think the POV shifts I think you know as I think Andres said you know it starts with Leonard Bernstein and then it finishes with Felicia so it's almost like you know it's both their story I guess is what he tries to say but I felt it wasn't really her story because Eve, it was always a reaction to his mm. actions, right? We didn't really follow yeah. her story. It was always how she acted and reacted um, based on what he did and his betrayals. We never really saw her, even though she's very strong and, you know, an incredible character. But, yeah, I didn't really feel she was the leading POV of the film. I mean, the, the film starts before she gets there, doesn't it? And the film yeah. carries on after she has left. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, it's, it's called Maestro for a reason, isn't it? It's yeah, about exactly. the Maestro. Yeah. It's not Lenny and Felicia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would guess that polling somehow indicated that women weren't interested in going to see the film. So the Perhaps. publicity lent harder on this idea. Oh, yes, this is uh, a woman's film about a woman's story. It's for women. Come on, women, buy tickets. And yeah. I guess, I'm guessing that's kind of why we've ended up with that slant because yeah. I think watching the film in the absence of that publicity, I feel like it's, it's his story. Yeah, completely. And yeah, and that film was in development for years and it wasn't getting mm. made. So perhaps that was why, you know, then he changed it and made it this, you know, about this complex modern love. Mm-mm. I think they give themselves quite a difficult task because it's sort of this dangerous double biopic. Yeah. And you sort of have doubled the trouble with about equal time. And I think they don't show you very much of her life um, professionally. You see a little bit of yeah. acting here and there. And I don't know how, how you know successful an actress she was, but she has some reputation as being good. Um, and then, ironically, you don't get a lot of Bernstein doing his work. I think there's a minimum yeah. that you've got to show him doing. He doesn't do a lot of composition. He talks about it. Um, we see a couple of fantastic uh, performances where, where Bradley Cooper is conducting orchestras, but you don't really see him as uh, the artist that he is. And, and a lot of the story is about, a lot of the yeah. story is about um, how do you, where does the artist end and the person begin and where's the outer exactly. life and the inner life of a character. Um, and it's funny because you don't get many bits that, that help us with either part of that personality in either person. So it's, it's one of these stories where, James, I would say, I don't really know whose story it is. I think it's, a, it's almost like it's the audience's story. We're going to get a glimpse into these lives that we wouldn't get otherwise, but we don't get too much detail on either one. Um, and I think the, the thing that troubled me was that the scenes didn't really add up. There were a lot of beautiful little scenes, but they didn't feel like they progressed um, uh. from one to the next with, with the consistency that told me what the real story is. So I come yeah. away with a couple of very solid themes, I think, and we can go into that in a minute. But I, I couldn't tell you that it's her story, if it's called Maestro, or if it's his story, if he's not being a maestro in the film called Maestro. Yeah. And it's quite interesting, right, because... There was this dilemma, right, of who was he? Just a conductor or a composer? Could he be both? And we had a lot more emphasis on the maestro on the conducting side than we had on the composing side, I felt. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that's why I said at the beginning, I think it almost reduces his life to this whole, um, you know, covert sexuality and her supporting him in whatever he does and them having a successful marriage all the same. Even if they break up, they come back together at the end. So there's this sort of successful personal life. Um, but you you don't see a whole lot of their professional lives in a film that you sort of need that I think more than we than we got. But I mean, obviously, as I said, it's a tall task if you you if yeah. you attack the personal issues. That's one film. If you attack the personal issues of two people, that's almost two films. Uh, um, and if you do professional biopic styles of of both of them, that's another two films. So it's 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 a really a, a, a tall order to. To, to satisfy, I think they did a pretty good job, but it's a little convoluted, a little muddled as a result. Yeah. yeah. God, Inesh, I think I um, kind of really feel what you said earlier on about how there's a superficiality to what we see yeah. about their relationship. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because I, I, that's you know, exactly how I feel about it as well, actually. Um, and I think, I wonder the part of that comes from, I think that there's a number of scenes which I suspect are improvised between the two of them, which mm. just don't feel particularly authentic to me. There's mm. kind of scenes when um, the two of them are you're in bed together. There's like a black and white scene of the yeah. two of them in bed. And there's yeah. you know, at least two scenes when they are leaning back to back you know, yep. in the park. Mm-hmm. And Apparently, Jimmy, I will tell you, oh, that yes. happened oh. <laughs> at a retreat. That Bradley Cooper organized um, just him and her going away for a week or something. And ah. that, the script was already written. Ah. But that um, uh, scene of them sitting back to back arose during the retreat and they loved it. And they um, inserted it and uh, updated ah. the script after ah. that retreat. So, right. yes. Yeah, that really Spot makes on. sense. Rosica. just feels like, feels like it's improvised between the two of them because it just feels a little bit it's, I feel like you know there are scenes aren't there sometimes in movies where you think oh, I'm no longer seeing Lenny and Felicia now I'm seeing mm-hmm. um, Bradley and Carrie Oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's quite self conscious, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It just doesn't quite feel authentic. You can sort of feel mm-hmm. they're sort of feeding their way through the scene, or they're just tossing things out. But it's you know they're not really kind of quite living the characters in the same way. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, we on this podcast are biased. I don't think you can beat getting a writer to write your scenes yeah. rather than getting your <laughs> actors to just make them up on the spot. But you know, call me old fashioned. Yeah. I agree, and also like I, you know, it's very nice. Oh, you know, pick a number. There's this um, nice idea about it, but I felt those were two moments that should define who they were yeah. as people, but yeah. also who they were as couple. And mm-hmm. they didn't do that. They yeah. didn't work at that level. It was just like quite whimsical. Okay, fine, but that was it. Um, yeah. But I'm sure lots of people will disagree, and they would love that scene. I'll tell you what, what, I think one of my favorite scenes is actually one that probably doesn't require a lot of writing. Um, it's Felicia's dying in bed. Um, oh, wow. Lenny yeah, comes in to scene. console her. At first, you think he's, gonna, he's got some joke that he wants to play. He's always oh, dressed up as a doctor with a stethoscope and all that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work. She's in terrible shape. There's no language really in this scene, but there's this music of their synchronized breathing that starts to emerge. And hers is sort of cancer labored. His is tobacco compromised. But they're sort of harmonious in this breathing yeah. scene, and it's musical. And that's the end of her life. And that that's a great scene. It probably relies a lot more on on good acting and directing than it does on writing. But that's the kind of scene that works. And it's funny because yeah. it's it's a dying scene. It comes late in the film. There is more that comes after that. But um, yeah, again, not a lot of writing, and it's not overdone. I could. Sp- totally see that scene happening in real life whether it did or not and um 
that's a that's a great I totally moment. agree yeah. yeah i agree there was a, this sincerity about that moment wasn't there like yeah. it was really really special it was one of my favorite scenes i think i wrote down two other scenes that i think were standouts um there's the on the town which, uh, which is like a you know, real tonal shift for the film. Yeah. You know, um, Lenny and Felicia go to a, a theatre and yeah. they're watching a rehearsal, but then they kind of step into the rehearsal and the rehearsal kind of becomes like you know, their own dance. And um, I thought that scene was just breathtaking. I loved it. I thought it was great. I wanted yeah. to see a bit more of that, frankly. Yeah. Exactly. I was disappointed that there wasn't more of that kind of energy and, and experimentation. Exactly. Um, and then, I, I agree. Opposite of that, the other scene which I really liked was um, it's another black and white scene. Uh, Bernstein comes out of his apartment. Steen, Stein. I said it wrong. I, I told you I'd say it wrong and I've got it wrong. You, you <laughs> lived up to your Stein. promise, though. Steen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lenny comes out of his department. Oh, man, this is so embarrassing. He comes out of his apartment and um, and there is you know, Oppenheim with his wife and yeah. daughter. Yeah. Um, you know, and they had, you know, he does this kind of cute, slightly outrageous thing and he tells the little baby, you know, oh, I slept with both your parents. Ha, ha, ha. And straight after that, there is a scene <laughs> of him and Oppenheim just walking to, through the park in silence. Yeah. And I thought... You know, the two of them walking together in silence, that's actually one of the most articulate scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. They, they are they are kind of um, comfortable being together in silence, but also there's a lot that's unspoken between them and there's kind of a tension. Um, and yet, you know, they've known each other for a long time and there's this kind of sensation of, of a what if about this scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great, great scene with so many, many layers yeah. and you know, pretty much no dialogue at all. It's just, you know, it's yeah. a lovely scene, well played. Perhaps, perhaps it's well played... Um, because it's so blank, we, the audience, are sort of allowed to read our own meaning on top of that. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, there's a, there, so there were some great scenes. And it was quite moving, quite moving, that scene, I felt. It mm. was almost like, you know, that could have been his, you know, his love, the love of his life, and it wasn't. And, um, yeah, there was this, he was very good in it. I think, yeah, that, that, that scene was pretty special. I also like the scene where she appeared before the party, you know, aesthetically, cinematically, when she comes out of the bus and just wore, you know, they had the, mm. there were some moments there that it felt like really classical cinema mm-hmm. yeah. that I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. uh, there was a beauty to it, but it didn't really, yeah, of course, and the opening scene and the, the symphony, even though you can tell that the whole film uh, is anchored around that resurrection climatic moment Mm -hmm. and it does feel very staged but I still felt I still had feelings you know I still felt all the emotions that I bet Bradley Cooper wanted us to feel you know the elation and the sadness and you know the the end you know the, the utter genius and brilliance that he had, you know, which is you know incredible and made me feel quite emotional. It was just pure music in its most elevated state, wasn't it? I, yeah. I really enjoy that scene. Um, f- friend of the pod, uh, Spencer mm. Brown, was telling me he yeah. he was invited to a screening of the film. Oh. I think he's like he's a member of the Directors Guild, which mm. means that he gets invited to these great screenings, and I don't because. <laughs> because <laughs> why would I be um, and uh, so he went to a screening that was introduced by Bradley Cooper so he saw the film and then there was an interview with him afterwards and Cooper was telling this anecdote about how they recorded that scene at Ely Cathedral which is in the east of the UK yeah. um, 
and they they had time to do two takes before the end of the shooting day. So they did oh, wow. two takes, you know, and they were kind of fine. And they scheduled some like some、um, other shots for the second day of shooting. And on the morning of the second day, Bradley Cooper said, "Look, I, please let me just have. I'm going to have one more, you know, go." At、uh, conducting this piece and doing this, you know, one really long single take because I just don't feel like I nailed it yesterday. And it gave a third, gave it a third try.、Mm-hmm. And apparently that is the version that's in the film.、Yeah. And Bradley Cooper says that、um, one of the musicians in the orchestra came up to him after doing that third、uh, take in the morning, and he said,、oh, "I'm really glad you did that third take because、uh, the two you did yesterday were awful." <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, I thought there would be many more takes. Actually, I'm quite surprised that there are only three. Because mm, yeah, the scene. I, is, I wonder whether it's such a technically challenging scene. Maybe、yeah. it requires such a huge amount of setup that you know, actually, from a technical point of view, you just can't do it that many times in a day. Yeah, and if you think about that, it's only his second film, right?、Mm, yeah. And conducting is. is very, very difficult, even、yeah. on the best of days.、Um, And he does it. He does a wonderful job. I mean, obviously, there's a there was another conductor who really did most of the rehearsals with the orchestras and got them all ready. And and Cooper was studying, I think, him as well as the the orchestra itself and Bernstein. But it it brings me to this point where I, that's a great scene, and it's great work. But there's a whole lot of other story where you could have spent just as much time and money and maybe come away with a better film.、Um, the conducting、Aww. scenes are fantastic. It's true, but that's a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of setup when. Maybe I don't know how well that serves the story because it's not about con-、mm. Bernstein as a conductor, really. It's the end of the scene when she's there.、I、yeah, think, you know, yeah.、Like、that's when they reconcile. I guess is the end of the scene. That the purpose of the、that's、scene、right. is the end to、really. bring them back together. And it's another、yeah. one of these great moments. And I love this thing about Cooper's direction is that he'll start with a still image. And then all of a sudden, it starts moving, and starts、uh, giving you more and more information. And in that scene, I don't think you see Felicia until the very the scene the、exactly. shot ends on her. It's this very long, deliberate pan over Cooper and close up at times, and the orchestra, and then eventually you get to her witnessing his his triumph. And、yeah. then that's you're right. That's the thing that reconciles them and reunites them.、Um, But again, I wonder that the the wisdom of of investing that much in those kinds of moments, and maybe not just tying the the, the individual scenes together more、uh, cleanly and more、uh, unified way. Because you you put a big scene like that in a film, it's hard to precede it and follow it.、Um, exactly. And one of the main I think faults I see in the film is it's just not linking all these great scenes together or all these meaningful scenes together that brings us more meaning as a as an audience. Absolutely, I think the story progression is really like one of the the biggest problems of、yeah. the film, isn't it? But there,、uh, there's another amazing thing is that、um, again, he's making a bunch of films at once in my mind because the early the early parts of the film, everything in black and white, really feels like a 1940s 50s film. The shadows are there, the black and white is there, the the colors there, the smoke is there, the, the fashion texture, is there. Isn't it?、Yeah. It's、mm. a texture. It's totally the area that they're they're actually living in. So that's fully appropriate. And then later on, it becomes this sort of 60s 70s、uh, I don't know yellow and orange and pale green colors, and、uh, it looks very much. Like a '60s '70s film, so it's remarkable filmmaking, and again, I think it contributes to the 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 tone of the film quite a bit. But it doesn't necessarily bring out more and more story, and I think it's just kind of lacking on story, which very often biopics do because they're really trying to force a something narrative and something interesting out of something that's really just daily life and and such. But these are extraordinary characters, so they must have an extraordinary life, and I just I never felt like I got it. Speaking of getting it, yeah,、uh, 
Um, wonderful, though many aspects of this film are, mm. I still think there's a couple of things that deserve to be got uh, by oh. uh, our friends at the end of the hotline. Yeah. Uh, for all the bits we've enjoyed, I'm still going to call the Cliché Squad. Cliché Squad. You're going to use one of those old-fashioned telephones, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 1960s telephone, yeah. It's like a bat phone or something like that. I've got... So, um, I did enjoy this film. I think the look of it is fantastic. Um, I think uh, I couldn't agree more that it's yeah, it's, it's the storytelling, the one thing that we are most interested in, which tends to let it down. Um, one big, simple cliche from me, and maybe this is a little bit unfair, and I know I've talked about it before, but coughing. Coughing. If any character coughs in a film, they will be dead in the next five minutes. I understand. You know, she, I mean, it's a relatively honest um, little sequence about suffering with cancer. You know, it's a pretty yeah. honest portrayal of that kind of death. She has lung secondaries. You know, yeah. like I quite like the notion of her folding up the tissues because she knows yeah. that she's going to be coughing up blood later. Yeah, yeah. But the, the whole thing about. Um, People smoking all those cigarettes, but they don't actually. Nobody does one single cough until eighty-five minutes into the film, and then eighty-eight minutes into the, into the film, they've died. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a little bit too much of a clicker. And then the other one I've put on my list, um, where, uh, which is you know, perhaps a bit more of a serious cliche, is um, a romance between actors played out through a rehearsal, where they have two oh. actors. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, who like, like they like each That's other. Very meta. But yeah, but they're exactly. But they're sort of, yeah. so they're they're playing characters in a rehearsal, so they can say these lovely things to each other without actually, you know, it being their words. It's somebody else's words. I just feel like I've seen that many times before. It's like yeah. It's like the first thing people think of when you have two characters who are actors falling in love. Oh, I bet they do a romantic scene from Romeo and Juliet or something like that. Yeah, great. Let's do that. Yeah. It's just... Um, I agree. And I think I would also add the party scene, isn't it? Like it's so it's such a classic when they meet at the party no. and they yeah. go outside and smoke together yeah, and talk yeah. about their past and a lot of exposition. Oh, great. You know, you just, <laughs> you know where it's going, isn't it? We just and saw I think that. it wasn't done, you know, Technically, it was done beautifully, yeah. but in storytelling terms, it wasn't done very yeah. well. It's a little clunky. And we had just seen the yeah. same scene in Oppenheimer a couple of months ago. Mm, Almost. Exactly. It felt like word yes. for word. It was the very same scene. Um, my first cliche is kind of an anti-cliche. It's that, um, and I've probably alluded to it already, that you, you can be a great composer, a great artist, without practicing the art once whatsoever. Uh. And the reason I say it's an anti-cliche is because that cliche actually had to be in here and it wasn't. Um, somehow we don't see him uh, really do anything of composition. He talks about it a little bit, but somehow you need to get some shots of him working or one of these productions going up and, and scrambling around with Jerome Robbins or whoever he's you know mm. uh, collaborating with uh, just to make it believable. So... That would have helped. It would have helped to have that cliche in there uh, a bit more somehow. This um, the, 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 a montage, I dare I say, a montage of some uh, some some oh, composition, no. some cooperation. Um, There's nothing wrong with a good montage. I like a montage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but my cliche, I'm really nitpicking here. But women helping <laughs> men tie ties. 
So I wear a tie. Very probably, good. Thank you. Well yeah. spotted. I yes. wear a tie Terrible about three, three days a year. I have to tie a tie. And the other day, I did it on the first attempt. I hadn't tied my tie in eight months, and bam, I had it. Now, Leonard Bernstein would have tied a tie by himself thousands of times, and he would actually do some complex bows or Windsor knots. So I just don't buy it. And I understand it. It gets two characters into this nice close-up, and it either encourages intimate conversation or awkward silence, but it is a cliché. Such a cliché. Yeah. Then he says, oh, this is nice. <laughs> like, oh, no, really? Like the domestic heaven, mm-hmm. the wife, <laughs> oh, my God. Really? And again, it feels very much like Oppenheimer, which again, her role was very, very underwritten. So. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I do think that I got some of the themes out of this film, and I liked them. I just don't think they were um, reinforced well enough. So for me, there's this moment where uh, Kuznetsky, the, the the conductor for the Boston Orchestra, um, suggests that Bernstein changes his name to Burns to be sort of less Jewish, and mm. it's this change of identity which ta- addresses directly this whether you're allowed, you're allowed to be who you truly are in life. Um, and also this, the other theme, it's totally related of, of this battle of being born between your inner life of a creator, and it's a quiet and, and a life of solitude, and the outer life of a performer and a social being. And he's, I, I like the conflict of themes, um, but it's, 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 it's a difficult thing to attack because you're actually sort of contradicting yourself when you, when you address those two themes at the same time. And, and, you know, maybe that's the point, this conflict of being a celebrity artist who needs a private life, especially in Bernstein's case, but a private life, uh, both sexually, but, uh, you know, also like that artistic thing that we've said is kind of missing here. Um, the guy, need, he is alone in a room composing at the very beginning of the film, which is kind of ironic because you never really see that again mm. uh, later on. But even that moment, he's doing it performatively right he's in front of the camera crew so i mean those themes are there this identity and this battling with who you are and these two very different parts and trying to reconcile them but i don't know if other people get that maybe that's just that moment i guess there's that moment when he's composing mass that is quite nice when we see Mm -hmm. a little bit of composing but then he finished and and i felt there was no journey of his struggle in terms of his artistry and that conflict was never really well explored so you have those themes but again they're superficial they're just they're lingering but we don't really it it doesn't go deep enough for us to really understand the actual conflict the struggle between you know being himself i think the identity is also quite complex which is beautiful if we think about it because he's struggling with a lot of things being a composer being a conductor being the limelight or being in the the quiet space and creating you know the 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 block that he must have experienced you know the the struggle also when he's supporting felicia through cancer Mm -hmm. and having to cancel all these concerts was probably that's how he got his money from, but also like the fact that he was Jewish and also homosexual, but also loving her and the family and supposedly a very good father. And those are so, you know, just those inner conflicts are so strong. You know, one of them, you can pick one just Uh, for a movie, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Here there's so many, so Mm -hmm. it's quite difficult to do justice to all of them. I wrote down on my list, what's it about? And, um, I was kind of thinking that there is, I'm sure there is one word which describes, you know, this sensation of, 
being split between two things. And I had to look it up in the dictionary, and the, the dictionary suggested duplicity. Mm. But duplicity kind of, you know, that, like that suggests deception, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. I it's, not, it's not quite duplicity. It's about duality, I think. Yeah. Yep. I think yeah, that duality. is the word, isn't it? It's the lover or the husband, that you know, mm. the composer or the conductor, yeah. the, the television personality or the artist. Mm. And, you know, trying to, trying to um, you know, steer this path between the two. Um, but still, the film itself kind of falls victim to its own duality because it's trying to st- steer a path between, well, is it a musical film or is it a biopic or, you know, is it talking about a, a short section of his life or all of his, all of his life? Is yeah. it about Drama. her? Is it about him? Mm-hmm. So ev- even the film cannot escape this kind of duality that it's trying to, trying to describe. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Because if you think, like, he, Leonard Bernstein... Um, took a lot more risk and I felt was much more successful as, and being all those things because that's what is extraordinary about him, right, is that he was successful. He managed to cope and, and, and manage all those relationships and all that that duality. He was able to do it, to cope with it. Mm. And it's interesting that the film doesn't manage that, which he did his entire life, Yeah, uh, you know, which again is very difficult, of course, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, Bradley Cooper did a tremendous job, mm-hmm. I have to say, when we think that is just his second film, this yeah. is incredible, you yeah. have some really, really good directing here, mm-hmm. I think it falls short in terms of storytelling, but his direction is incredible, he'll yeah. work with the actors, you know, and the production design, cinematography, it's incredible, yeah, yeah. really, really. Is, uh, and I suppose, because he, he had um, Spielberg and Scorsese as producers, I wonder whether he had anyone to ask for advice at any point. <laughs> Probably. I should, I should hope so. <laughs> um, should we, let's, let's, have a, let's have a break. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of uh, stretch our legs, retune our violins, um, and, then, yes. and then come back and uh, talk about West Side Story. Wonderful. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Cough away, cough yes. away. Oh, I can cough. Oh. Two Real Cinema Club is brought to you by the International Association of Apiarists, who ask the question, to beekeep or not to beekeep? We say, keep on beekeeping on. Not only do bees sweeten life for all other beings of planet Earth, they essentially feed us all through the pollination that enables plant propagation and food production. Yet bees around the world are suffering due to climate change, pollution, and habitat, or habitat destruction. (laughs) Without the bee, there ain't no bee for any of we, sick, us. So, support your local apiarists or consider becoming one yourself. You get to wear fashion statements that are both space-age and earthy. You can honestly say you get stung a lot. You get, you get to smoke out the houses, and you'll become popular with friends when you share your liquid gold and nectar of the gods as sticky gifts with no stings and no wings attached. <laughs> so, to beekeep or not to beekeep? Be like Barbie Beekeeper. James, do you remember Barbie Beekeeper? I do remember Barbie Beekeeper, yes. Yes. Be a beekeeper. (laughs) Even if you fail, you might create some mutant hybrid bee that solves the problems of humans and bees alike. So, 
The International Association of Apiarists, proud sponsors of the Two Real Cinema Club, want to share this simple message. Humankind, be kind to be kind. Oh, that's good. That's lovely. Did we get it? Yeah, I'm going to raise my cup of lemon and honey drink. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Cure your ills. Yes, good. <laughs> And we're back. Uh, having to, I've, I've just been sipping my uh, honey drink, and now I'm not sure whether I feel elated or guilty that we're sponsored by the by the <laughs> apiarists. I feel like I've stolen their livelihood. But um, we are going to talk about uh, so the Leonard Bernstein uh, masterpiece. Some people will call it that West Side Story. So um, originally a musical in 1958, I think, turned yeah. into a film in 1961. I'm guessing you had both seen this film several times. Yes. Yes. Because I, my cinematic confession uh, tonight's pod, no, I'd never seen it all the way through. Oh. I've seen. Oh I'd, my I, goodness! I know. Exactly. So I saw a stage production probably twenty years ago. Okay. I saw a student stage production twenty years ago. Yeah. And in my mind, that you know, that all for all this time, that has been the definitive version. Um, I have never seen the. Um, uh, the cinematic version all the way through. I've seen little bits, huh. never sat and uh, watched it all through. So uh, really exciting to see it this week. Oh, good. I generally don't like musicals, mm-hmm. um, and I loved this. So um, yeah. yeah, I I, uh, I you know came out singing and dancing. Um, really enjoyed enjoyed it. But um, do you want to know why we chose West Side Story to pair up? I do. Was I the one who decided, or did you decide on this one? Or maybe Inesh decided on this one. (laughs) 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 I mean, I don't know the short answer is. It's like, it's the obvious choice, isn't it, I suppose. I was expecting there to be more West Side Story in Maestro. Yeah. Yeah. And there is not. There was just a little nod, isn't there? Exactly, yeah. yeah. They sort of allude to it very briefly, and then that's about it. Um, even though this is probably the one piece of work that he is most famous for. Um, in Maestro, they they seem to talk about how um, uh, Bernstein was like the, the popularizer of of uh, classical music for Western television audiences. Mm. So maybe um, if you grew up in the US, you saw him every Sunday night telling you about classical music. But certainly I never picked up on any of that. Yeah. I was never aware of that. Yeah. You know, the, the one achievement I'm most aware of him for it's West Side Story. Yeah, me too. I did. I did do a little bit of a read about the the background. So the, the stage musical kind of started out in 1949 um, as East Side Story. Um, so even back then, it was based on Romeo Ooh. and Juliet, but it was playing on tensions between an Irish Catholic family mm-hmm. and a Jewish family uh, on oh, Manhattan's really? Lower East Side. Jerome Robbins. Yeah. Uh, so he was like choreographer of the King and I, funny girl. Um, and then Bernstein yeah. and Arthur Lawrence or Lorenz, who who wrote Rope for Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, so they're all involved. The project didn't come oh, to anything. Yeah. It was abandoned for six years. And then in 1955, uh, Lorenz was asked to work on an adaptation of Serenade. Uh, he got Bernstein and Robbins involved mm. again. Um, Bernstein just wanted to do the music now. Uh, he'd been introduced to Stephen Sondheim. And at the time, uh, the big story mm. in the news was gang-related violence. So they thought, well, let's rework East Side Story uh-huh. to be about L.A. gangs. 
Uh, so it's going to be about Los Angeles gangs. Oh. Uh, but Laurent said he was more familiar with Puerto Rican gangs in New York. So it went back across yeah. uh, the country to, yeah. to Manhattan. And it became a yeah, West Side story. Mm. Um, the musical was produced on a pretty tight budget. It was seen as incredibly modern, very brown Break, uh, groundbreaking swept the Tonys in 1958 so there's a lot of interest in turning it into film but um, Jerome Robbins yep. who does make like a really brief appearance doesn't he in Maestro um, so he was the choreographer but he had very little film yeah. experience so they grabbed Robert Wise uh, to co-direct now I was never mm-hmm. quite aware of what an incredible career Robert Wise uh, had um, so you know I was aware of West Side Story I was aware that he directed Sound of Music I didn't know that he was the editor of mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And Ernest Lehman, who wrote the script as well, he did The Sound of Music, North mm. by Northwest, yeah. the writer, who adapted the film from the play. Yeah. And then, really incredible. They worked together. Yeah. Um, uh, Robert Wise directed The Andromeda Strain, which is one of my favourites as a boy. Great movie. He yep. directed the first Star That's Trek right. feature film in like 1979, something like that. I mean, what an amazing, right. utterly incredible career. Yeah. Um, but he had the reputation as being a Incredible. bit safe pair of hands. So, so they or they kind of arranged that Robbins yeah. would shoot the dance scenes first, and then Wise would follow in, and he'd shoot the dramatic yeah. scenes. But but they got to forty five days into shooting, um, and Robbins was already something like twenty three days behind schedule, uh, so he got sacked basically. Wow. Um, and <laughs> yeah, then so Wise right. finished oh, filming like the remaining dance sequences with Robbins' assistants. Although apparently that they remained in contact uh, on the yeah. phone, and so he took Robin's advice about something. Yeah. Um, interesting. The casting for the film. Uh, do you know who was approached for the role of Tony in West Side Story? Nope. Everybody basically. Elvis. <laughs> Elvis was approached. Warren Beatty was yeah. approached. Oh, wow. uh, but Reynolds, Anthony Perkins was asked to do it. Marlon Brando Jeez. was asked to do it. Uh, Everybody. Um, it's very interesting. Why did they turn it down? I wonder. Yeah. I don't know how, whether. Were all those guys very confident about singing? I don't know. Interestingly, um, uh, this was when Warren Beatty was young enough that the producers had to see his showreel. Um, and it was when they watched his showreel that uh, they saw yeah. Natalie Wood. I can't remember what she was making with him at the time. And that was how she got cast as Maria. I didn't know until today. Oh, wow. uh, Natalie uh, Wood, well, I was figured out that she was not Puerto Rican. Uh, I did not know that she is a child of Russian immigrants. Uh, so Natalie Wood is Russian. Yeah, she did From Here to Eternity, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. The, yeah. Sur- the Searchers is what I know Natalie Wood yeah. for. She was in that, wasn't the she? The Searchers, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. of course. Um, Very young. Uh, it won 10 Oscars in 1961. Um, and uh, my favourite bit of trivia, apparently West Side Story was reportedly Michael Jackson's favourite film. That should come as no surprise, yeah. <laughs> well, I think cause <laughs> after, after you've seen the video for Beat It... And um, yeah, and I suppose yeah. it bad as well. Like they're both kind of basically sort bad, of yeah. Yeah, street gangs, yep. kind of you know violence, dancing. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's West Side Story, isn't it? Yeah, we could see it, isn't it? Yeah, interesting. Um, shall I tell you yeah. the story then? Yes, please. The story. I've, my 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 synopsis always much shorter than Andrew's, so I've just done it as like three little sentences. But uh, I, I could have done it in three words, couldn't I, Romeo and Juliet? Manhattan gang violence uh, is the 1950s basis for this film adaptation of the hit stage musical based on the story of Romeo and Juliet. So Tony, 
Uh, it's a young man trying to put his gang life in the jets behind him. Maria is a teenager ready to fall in love, even though her brother Bernardo is gang leader of the Sharks and keeps a close eye on who his sister dances with. And when Tony and Maria meet, they're smitten, but tensions between the jets and the Sharks get in the way, leading to a fight and a tragedy that might keep the young couple apart forever. I know. Is it possible to spoil Romeo and Juliet? I, d- I don't know if it is. A number of people die in the end. I mean, yeah. Actually, interestingly, probably an incorrect number of people die at the end of this film. But but yeah, a number of important characters die. Um, so I was going to say, you know, I I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy this film, but I really did. I enjoyed it a lot. It's over sixty years old. It's old fashioned. It's melodramatic. You know, I can't deny that. But the music, yeah. the dancing, the look of the thing, just like with Maestro, it was the look. You know, it won me over. It carried, you know, I, I was carried away far further than I expected. It's still, it's breezy, uh, it's witty, it's fast moving, it's kinetic. This is a great fun film still. I agree. You universal agreement yeah, exactly. on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such an iconic film, isn't it? It's just so, I don't know. It was, I think it stands the test of time, didn't you think? Yeah. Um, well, probably that's why Spielberg did the, the remake. Um, I mean, but it, I just... It amazes me how yeah. contemporary, like, the concerns of the film Exactly, feel. exactly. When you're so yeah. current. Yeah, exactly. I like the song um, La 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 America. You know, it's it's yeah. all it's about immigration and inflation uh, and exactly. racism and border control. You know, it feels you know, it could have exactly. been written this year. Unbelievable! I really, know. Isn't it? I was just thinking about that Irish incident that was so awful. You know, and now the refugees mm. in in the UK alone. I was just, but well, it's it's so current, and uh, you know, it's very depressing that it's still happening. But it's just so well written. That song is beautiful, and yeah. I read that actually Rita Moreno, who plays Anita help change some of the lyrics oh. to make it less offensive yes because she felt that was quite offensive towards puerto rico and she was oh. a puerto rican native and um, yeah and she when she first yeah. read the script she didn't accept the role until they changed some of the lyrics of that imagine stephen sondheim i, I found it that quite <laughs> <laughs> like uh, being told by rita Reno, hey you have to change this yeah. and i thought that was great you know when you look at the uber talented um, creative team of this and the fact they were able to collaborate and change things and being generous and open enough uh, was quite special I think that's why this film was such a success Uh, I mean that song America is absolutely fantastic every word is perfect isn't it it's so Mm -hmm. tight incredible Um, not a syllable is wasted it's just really beautifully written yeah real um, outstanding Um, but also there's like there's kind of real Black Lives Matter material isn't there it's kind of it's like it's Latino Lives Matter but I mean the whole police brutality and racism thing you know and uh, something else which I didn't really realise at all so there's um there's you know one of the Jets characters is this um, character who's like called a tomboy at the time, but you know you look with a modern eye yeah. and clearly well either you know she's gay you know, or she is transgender. They, um, yeah. this, is, this is I think the sweetest exactly. moment in the film actually. This you know uh, maybe kind of uh, just you know brought a little moistness to my eye uh, in the second act. Um, she is the one who finds. Tony and all the way through the film all the gang have all been telling her you're a girl go and put on a dress you're a girl mm. no one wants you and then um, she finds Tony yeah. and like Ice the leader of the Jets he tells her you done good buddy boy 
Yeah. You know, yeah. And she has this lovely smile. You kind of think, oh, look, it's like she's been acknowledged yeah. for who she really exactly. is. It's so sweet. It's just a lovely So moment. moving, isn't it? Is, it? Isn't it? That, that is, you know, again, even that, you can see the journey of the character, everything she always wanted to be. They finally acknowledge that, that you know, in the second act. So it's when we were talking before about Maestro and, you know, the lack of sort of journey and the storytelling, this has it all in, in that respect. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember the name of that character? She's called Anybody's. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Really. Anybody's. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, that's a very early transgender role and uh, a great story on its own. Come on, this was done in 1960s. It is incredible to think like that. Yeah. There's, I mean, there, the things, there are things to not like about it as well, I think. (laughs) Um, But it all ends up being so well done that you don't worry about it too much. But, um, you know, I think the racism is pretty honestly addressed here. Um, the Puerto Ricans are the newest group of immigrants, so they're low on the on the rung of the ladder. And then I, the the implication for me was that a lot of the other the Jets, a lot of the Jets are actually children of immigrants, but maybe born in in New York, so they're sort of just a, a generation removed from their parents in that way and, and the immigrant experience. But um, and then the the open the open hostility and racism of the police towards the PRs, yeah. they start calling them the PRs, right, um, is in there. There's this weird little double racism thing, too, because one of the Puerto Rican uh, gang members, one of the sharks, is called Chino, which is basically just oh. calling a kid Chinese. Chinese. Which, ironically, still happens today. I've got a group of students from Angola, and they're convinced that one of their friends looks Oof. Chinese, so they call him uh, uh, Chino. Chino. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah. goes on to this today, but it's, it's, it's very interesting that that's in there as well. Um, the Spanish is really rough because a lot of those oh. actors are not native uh, Spanish speakers, I don't think. So the accents are pretty bad, as you said, Natalie. That's one of the biggest flaws, I felt. That and the makeup, yeah, you and know, the fact, like yeah. how they darken their yeah, skin. Yeah. So bad, so bad. A little weird. Bad. So those the, and ironically, the, the lip syncing is fantastic because very few of those people are actually singing, I think. so. Um, yeah, I think Natalie Wood was dubbed, right? Yeah. Richard Baymar's Tony has someone. So, But they, it's actually really good lip syncing, so that, that kind of covers for it. But, uh, I mean, those are the things to sort of dislike or to criticize, but they're not story things, right? You're working from Shakespeare. The story's solid. It's proven. Um, So the things to dislike are the racism you can dislike, but it's actually very honest for probably the 1950s um, New York City. I agree. Um, And then you guys both mentioned America. There's this wonderfully awful scene um, at Docks where... um, Rita Moreno's character, that's Anita, I believe, um, goes to deliver a message, but she changes her message after she's essentially raped. It's like a musical rape. Assaulted, yeah, so awful. And it's this intense moment, but if you listen to the music, it's America getting warped and uglier and uglier. It just becomes this uh, this cacophonic cacophonic mess, this chaos of what was originally a beautiful tune or a really fun tune. It becomes really warped. Um, And that's just a great scene both musically and visually. Uh, and you know exactly what's happening, but you know it's not as graphic as it might be in a scene today or in a scene that's not in a musical. Um, so, and she's so distraught because yeah. it's also her American dream that's being broken. Yeah. It's everything that is being broken is about her being assaulted, you know, it's her as a woman being, you know, raped, but also about the dream. She always, she was always more hopeful than her boyfriend Bernardo about America yeah. you know she had this American dream very much alive and he dies there and then on that yeah. scene and it's just beautiful how it all comes together mm, yeah very sad but yeah it's, it's such a powerful scene I, th- I think for me one 
thing that really strikes me is that I, I know more about Bernstein from this film than I think I know from, from Maestro. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, because it's an incredibly complex, it's an incredibly complex piece of music. It captures, it's groundbreaking. It captures a lot of different moves, moods and yeah. captures the times as well as those neighborhoods. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful. I'm not as big a fan of Stephen Sondheim and never have been, so the lyrics sometimes don't work as much for me, but the music is so strong. And you can feel all that work that we're missing in Maestro. You can feel all that work just listening to this, because this film is, it's Leonard Bernstein for me. It's just very much his uh, his masterpiece. You know, the mix of like his jazzy, bluesy, yeah. Latin, it's just so, like the Latin dance, oh, it's yeah. just incredible. Like the music is... There's this wonderful, um, I guess it's probably a reprise of Tonight, um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's they're preparing for the rumble, and Maria and Tony are preparing for the rest of their lives together, basically, and it's this beautiful blend of violence and beauty, and it's confusing, mm. it's love and it's hate all at once, and it's done musically, it's done visually, it's done with the characters, and Again, that's a not, not an easy thing to balance. We were talking about balancing things in the other film. Um, that's a, a fantastic movie moment, and it's balanced really expertly. I was telling you earlier, I wanted to see more montage. That's you know, that scene kind of works as a montage. It's yeah, beautifully yeah. coordinated, just incredible. Yes. Absolutely. I've got a question for the yeah. both of you. So um, for all that we were kind of commenting that a lot of the concerns of the film seem surprisingly modern, still applicable in 2024, um, one song that kind of stands out uh, as being different uh, is the Officer Krupke song. But I don't know whether that felt the same way to you. Yeah. That um, for all the progress we see in other bits of the movie, that Officer Krupke song, you know, it's it's well-structured and it's amusing, but it's pretty reactionary, isn't it? It's kind of the whole thing is lampooning the notion mm. that yeah. it is society that creates antisocial behaviour. Um, I was almost to the extent that I was half expecting them to start singing, yeah. oh, what a snowflake, you know, tidy your room and go and listen to a podcast by that nice Dr. <laughs> Peterson. That I, it just felt, um, it felt like quite different in tone to the rest of the songs. Yeah, you're right. I wonder, I haven't seen Spielberg's um, version yet, but I wonder if he kept that mm. song. Because I know he changed quite a few of the songs. And, right, OK. Yeah, I, I mean, it is one of the most memorable songs yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. And it also, also, it you know, gives birth to one of the most memorable gags in Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you've ever seen that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was, I was about to mention that Larry David uses it too. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely, definitely sort of makes fun, maybe uncomfortably yeah. so, of, of about social workers and mental illness, and it just, yeah, it does not seem. Uh, it feels very dated. Yeah, it does feel quite yeah. dated. But again, maybe accurate for the times, of course. Yeah, you, okay. Yes. We're looking back at this 60 years later. And it also says you can kind of editorialize it because you can say, well, these are the attitudes of the Jets, not the attitudes of you know, the writers of the song. Yeah, that's true too. You're putting words in the, the characters' mouths. Yeah, I think on another level, like the photography is fantastic. Mm. They're using lots of like closed spaces. It's it's a project that's big enough for film, yet the spaces are tight and confined enough to convey this sort of suffocation and tension. So it's a good example of art direction and cinematography that really support the story, mm. um, as opposed to art direction that might be there just to wow the audience or the viewer. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's a, that's again. It, it, it looks so credit wonderful. To, um, and credit to Bradley Cooper. I think that worked really well in Maestro yeah. as well. It works better here because he has a stronger story to support yeah. it. But I think, you know, Maestro also worked well in that respect. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a real palpable sense of place in both of these films, isn't there? 
you know, they do kind of, mm. you know, these are both uh, New York films that are proud to be New York films you know, without necessarily showing you all the obvious bits of New York. Yeah, but one is very much upper, well, mm, upper yeah. west side yeah. and the other one is, yeah. Um, it, it does, I mean, I, I realise most of the story is stolen from Shakespeare, but it it, uh, it does kind of use some of the traditional advices of, of you know, it limits the time frame. The whole thing happens over 48 hours, doesn't it? It limits the locations. It all yeah. happens in quite this kind of quite tight um, geographical space. I do yep. wonder whether it slightly dips in the third act and the, the pacing maybe could be slightly, but I, if it was me, I might have cut a song or two towards the end of the film and, and just kind of, <sighs> yeah, I might have chipped. There's, there's a, a song between Anita and Maria. I can't remember which the song is, but, you know, when they're in her kind of bedroom. Yeah, I am pretty. Is it no, pretty? No, no, um, after that. The, after, oh, later on, the third act, yeah. Yeah, after Bernardo is killed. I can't remember the name of the song, but I was thinking, yeah. you know what, this this song is kind of slowing things down, actually, where we need to get to the climax now. But, mm. you know, who am I yeah. to start nitpicking a, a 60-year-old film? It's a masterpiece. You know, it's yeah. fantastic. Well, one interesting thing I wrote down in my notebook, um, yeah. towards the end of the film, um, Doc, you know, he tells Tony, you kids, why do you all live your lives like you're at war? Um because yeah. you know, they're all mm. just living so very fast, aren't we? Aren't they? They're, they're meeting and falling mm. in love and pretending to get married and then dying all over a 48-hour period. And it occurred to me, well, the musical was actually created just, you know, barely a decade after the Second World War. People probably did yeah. live faster then, didn't wow. they, I think? It's a product of the times. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it captures it on a personal level, too. I think that's the the reason it was probably quite successful, because people could see it's the war. interesting. Because, I, you know, I watched this film, you know, probably two or three times before, but then I watched it again before the podcast and <laughs> I found myself crying, you know, like not sobbing, mm. but I had like tears when Tony <laughs> dies, you know, that scene of her. I was like, oh my God, you know, and then when she stands up, because I, I felt a stronger connection to Anita than oh, I felt to Maria yeah. most of the times. Every time I watched her, I thought she was more interesting, more powerful, you know, that Maria was a bit more passive. But that is the scene, the ending is when Maria comes to life, even though he's dead, you know, is when she finally feels she has the courage to face the gangs and put an end to it, um, which is mm. quite interesting um, and very, very moving. And the scene is so incredibly shot. You know, when when there's one of the, I don't know if it's, yeah, it's one of the jets that puts the um, the headscarf yes. over her. And then she walks oh, yeah. behind, you know, this young widow behind, you know, she's not really yeah. a widow because she didn't marry, but, you know, behind the coffin, but not the coffin again, behind him, his body. Yeah. And all this, the gang starts dispersing and connecting that to the mm. opening shot, mm. which was, all the gang coming together in that same space I think it was yep. so it's just beautiful filmmaking really really astonishing I love the the, the way that the, the the gang's fight of course is through dance yeah so it's not that violent um, by today's mm. standards and the you know the choreography is fantastic yeah you're seeing guys fighting Incredible. but they are dancers and there's there's so much artistry in the casting because you're looking for people who can at least act a little bit many of whom can sing many of whom can dance so it's like we're we're seeing that artistry in every scene of this film where it's the same kind of artistry that I th thought was lacking in in Maestro ironically mm. um, I, I just love that I love the beauty of the violence in this film I guess that's the way it's done it's yeah. just that it's it's, it's artful it's Really, really Absolutely. artful. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a great film. I mean, I, I, 
it's definitely not for the young people, I don't think. Um, I feel, it makes me feel older <laughs> that I love this film so much. Um, but I think it's worth it's worth loving for sure. It's a great film. I didn't watch it with my children. I wonder whether maybe we should try it actually, because I wonder whether they might enjoy it yeah. more than more than you think. Yeah. I I wonder whether they might. They like might, it. Yeah. yeah. I think they might enjoy it. Yeah, I think so too. Right. Um, well, a lot of characters on screen. Um, great to have a guest because you can also join in oh, on yeah. our favourite game. Let's play. Who am I? Who am I? So like, I, I, I kind of always I, you know, I feel like you know, one of the reasons that we go and s- go to the cinema at all, the reason that art exists is because we want to see ourselves on the screen, I think. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of our artistic duty, I suppose, to show the audience themselves. It's why we go. Um, did either of you see yourselves on screen this week? Yes. Oh, good. Excellent. Next <laughs> Leonard Bernstein, for sure, you will say. I'm going to go a little bit against expectation this week because I know that (laughs) James always looks at a doctor and he immediately thinks of himself as that person, which is, I understand that. It's a little easy, though. Um, So this week, I'm going to go for the doctor, the doc who owned the general store where the kids hung out, the Jets did. Oh, He's cranky, he's old, he's incapable of understanding the teenagers he serves, his customers, um, and uh, he just doesn't understand the changes in the world, as you've just mentioned, and this dissolution (laughs) of society. So I'm sort of a composite of Doc, but I also feel Baby John. Baby John was like crying all the time. He was scared and he was slow to warm to this sense of violence. I don't think he really wanted to rumble at all. And, and I think that's me too. So I'm some, somewhere between the young Baby John. I love it. The baby John and the old Doc. Exactly. Midway between those two characters. Yeah. Very interesting. So we were talking about duality. That's your duality. You are both Doc yeah. and Baby John at the same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I'm definitely not the doctor this time. That, that guy in... Uh, in Maestro, he clearly never yeah. went to any of the Breaking Bad News lectures that I went to. <laughs> that guy is terrible at Breaking Bad terrible, News. Oh, my God. It was a sweet scene, though. <laughs> he, he, he was handsy. He was handsy. He had his hand on her knee immediately. Like, he was, like, yeah. kneeling Bam. and everything. I mean, it was all that. It was kind of, yeah. Very 50s style. Yeah. 70s, yeah. They don't teach us to do it like that. That's just wrong. That's, like, every bit of that was wrong. I, um, interestingly, I, you know, you know who I, 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 Put down for who am I this week? I wrote down, I see a bit of myself in Leonard Bernstein. Oh. <laughs> am I a great composer? No, of course not. Am I an inspiring <laughs> conductor? Clearly not. Am I a philandering gay man with a roving eye? No, nothing as interesting as that. But <laughs> a- am I sometimes a bit of a selfish egomaniac? <laughs> Maybe we've got something there. I, uh-huh. think, I, I, uh, I mean, you know, this, it, this is not a comparison that reflects the 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 best sides of my personality or the parts of myself that I am proudest of. But, you know, what film worth its salt would only address the good things? I think there is a bit of Bernstein uh, in me. I recognise, you know, that kind of selfish egotism sometimes. You know, I spot that in that guy in the mirror. Um, I'm guessing my get out is there is an element of that in all people. I know there is in me. that was very therapeutical. <laughs> yeah, very good. You guys are going to wow. have to start charging me by the hour, aren't you? Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, did you see yourself this week? Yes, I did. I think I mentioned just just now. I think Anita was one of the characters. I, there's a sense, you know, having been an immigrant for many years, I felt there was mm. all, you know you always there is that duality that we were talking about, but you never yeah. you know the sense of home and the sense of who you are, not feeling entirely Portuguese, not feeling entirely British, mm. and um, you almost you know this. You sort of you want to belong to the place where you live, but you also long your home, even though you don't feel connected to it in the same way uh, as when you grew up. Um, yeah. Which is the same feelings that she's trying to explain in America, uh, and then that disillusion, I guess, that when you have those dreams and they're shattered, or the opportunities do not present themselves in the way yeah. that you wanted them to be. So yeah, I could connect with you know she's. Uh, much stronger character than I am <laughs> but uh, but there were so many things that I um, you know I could feel about her struggle and um, yeah that I could really relate uh, so yeah I think I would be closer to Anita she's also like you a, a, a winner of an Emmy a Grammy <laughs> yeah. an Oscar yeah. and a Tony so <laughs> I, I think you'll get Goat. there somewhere yes <laughs> Someday, <laughs> no, that's not her song. That's Maria's song. Oh, oops. Uh, somewhere, <laughs> right. Let's. Um, we've got. We'll, we'll, we'll play our overly long jingle then. Which, which, so we'll, we'll see whether we can. I think we've done half this work already. We can see. Let's see if we can um, bring the two films together. We'll do our synthesis. Let's see what happens. Synthesis is like a trans transformative music. Right, that, that, was, that was so good. I'm not even going to dub the music in this time. No, we need that. We need that. We need. That. I, 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 so for my in my my notebook this week, I wrote a little mini essay about this. It's only about four sentences. Oh. I'm going to okay. read it out though because um, yeah. you two are much better at talking off the top of your head, whereas I I'm terrible with the no, words. No, no, I'm not. So you, we, we'll <laughs> wrote, just stick. To so what I wrote you have. down um, organic chemistry colon um, one of the basic properties of matter. Right, is left or right handedness? Did you do? Did you do, like study mm. chemistry at school? There's this kind of you know this this right or left handedness of of all molecules, like yeah. Yeah. this this notion that mirror images of things cannot be superimposed on each other. I think these films are about the same idea about duality, about twoness. Mm -hmm. And I wrote underneath. I wrote. Um, Oppenheimer, I think, wanted to also be about some fundamental property of the universe, but it couldn't quite figure out which one. So it ended up yeah. mostly being about having sex in an armchair. But, but, yeah, whereas, totally. But these two films, I think, really succeed. So you know, they are both about <laughs> kind of, they're about two-ness. It's jets versus sharks, composer yeah. versus conductor, lies versus honesty. You know, these immigrants versus those immigrants. In, in yeah. a country where every character that we see on screen is actually an immigrant. You know, yeah. Tunis is a fundamental property of all things in the universe. So it's mm -hmm. like such a valuable practical idea to explore in any art. It's one of those characteristics that, that is at the heart of everything, including, I think, and this is what I wrote at the bottom of my little paragraph, public discourse at the moment. I think mm. this is you know one of the big things that I think is wrong with the whole blooming world um, mm. is that there is a little bit too much duality and uh, too much resistance to meeting in the middle. Mm. Uh, 
you know, we are over there or we're over here, but you know, we don't meet in that no man's land in between. We don't talk to the other people. You know, and that's, uh, that's what's wrong with 2024, I think. Um, and I think both these films sort of are about that same thing. Yeah. But that's that's the end of my essay. I don't know whether mm. did you did you feel the two films kind of shared shared themes? Absolutely. I think you I think you started very well. I think that's it. Um, for me, it was about that early theme statement in Maestro of society wanting us to be one thing, even if we want to be something else. Uh, the sharks want Tony to fight, or, or I guess the Jets want Tony to fight. He wants to get out of the gang life. Maria sees Tony as different, and she even calls him inexplicably Anton. I, mm. I thought she would say Antonio or something there, but she I calls know, him I didn't Anton. I understand that, why she doesn't call him Antonio. And even at the yeah. end, she said Teodoro Anton. Teodoro Antonio, yeah. So yeah be, which maybe is fun because it just shows how badly society understands us as individuals, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there are these uh, different ways of looking at ourselves and, and how we're seen. Um, these different ways of looking at an artist and knowing them, as I said, I, I see Bernstein through West Side Story, and ironically, I don't see him quite as clearly through the maestro pick, um, and how we understand ourselves through like, the exposition of our own lives versus the relationships that we have to other people, because I think that is kind of what is at the heart of, uh, of maestro. Yeah. Um, mm. For me, there are a couple other things, though, too. I'll do the serious one first, I guess. There, I think there's a there's an exploration of masculinity in the, both of these films, and it's it, it's very funny in uh, West Side Story because I don't consider any of those gang members particularly masculine. And when you're when you're casting for those certain qualities, uh, you don't get a lot of buff gang type uh, members. <laughs> I, I'd be interested to see, especially not Bernardo, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd be interested to see Spielberg's version because maybe he's got uh, you know more rounded and and muscular characters. Um, but I got to say that I I long for a world where gay choreographers, composers, and lyricists can dictate the motions, motivations, and meditations of urban gang life, mm. specifically and American men in generally. So there's, a, there's this bizarre um, toxic masculinity uh, meditation in these two films um, that I think is there, perhaps partly by accident, partly by casting, and, and very much by intention, though, I think, as well. Um, and Maestro needs some snapping. I love, there's so much snapping in uh, West Side Story. I love it. And if Maestro had snapping, that film would have kicked ass. So that's that's my other thought on synthesizing the two. I think I would add just to, well, I think, yeah, we've already talked about it. And I think it's about identity and also like how aspirations and reality clash. Um, I think both films touch upon those subjects, even though like um, yeah. they don't really explore them deep enough um especially in maestro's case but um identity is very much also present on both of them mm -hmm. that's it don't have anything yeah, to add yep. after you both your essays thanks very much for leaving me with nothing <laughs> no i would say well done it's they're definitely about identity there's no question about yeah. that and i think they Again, it's almost like tall orders. It's uh, identity, but you're also working with duality, so it yeah. just confuses things. And, you know, that's life. Life yeah, is supposed exactly. to be confusing. It shouldn't be that neat. Um, but in your films, I think it's it's great when the theme comes through really, really clearly. And I, I think both of them do that quite well. Mm -hmm. um, I wish Maestro were a little stronger and a little more clear, but um, you know, hat, hats off to Bradley Cooper and the whole gang, because that is still quite an achievement. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, they definitely knew what they wanted to talk about, isn't it? It's not like yeah. they entered yeah. the film and, and sort of figured out halfway through what the theme was. Or no, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. they clearly understand it's, and it's, what it's, they're trying to talk about. I think it's wise that they end on uh, Bernstein just conducting because then you see the man, the the mm. amount of energy, the sweat that goes into those performances. I've substitute taught for some conductors before. Conducting is not easy. It's really, really hard, and it's super technical. I can't technical. believe you kept this until the very end of the podcast, so you you are also a conductor. No, no, no. You didn't very, say that right at the start? I would have changed everything bad, I said. Very bad, very bad, and you need two great hands, and it's incredibly physical. That's why the guy is, 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 is sweating like that. I mean, a big piece might be 40, 50 minutes long, and you're there waving your arms around and trying to focus for... <laughs> Uh, you know, long stretches very intensely and you are in charge of anywhere from, what, 40 to 100 people playing on stage. It's incredible. So I'm glad they ended the the film and, and I guess they opened the credits with him conducting and I thought that was a, um, a, a wise move. And the, the credits actually in both films are really interesting. I love the credits, the end credits especially in West Side Story. Yeah. Uh, where you're seeing the graffiti and the names are sort of emerging so from good. this scribbling on walls and stuff and it's just, it's brilliant. Um and even the opening credits where they just, you know, you're looking at that, these these little stick figure Long. drawings yeah. in West Side Story for five minutes while basically so this brilliant. wonderful um, overture that encapsulates much of the great score uh, in five minutes is playing on the screen before you and then it sort of morphs into New York City. I mean, some just fantastic credit work on both films. Yeah. There's so much artistry in both films. It's incredible yeah. if you mm, think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really yeah, outstanding. We don't see that many films with, with that level, I feel. Uh, you're right. Unfortunately. Well, uh, sp- speaking of not seeing that many films, we've yeah. just got time to talk about also playing at this theatre. <laughs> well, I think I think we should only be polite and let guests go first. Yes. Uh, what else have you seen this week? <laughs> You only let me go first because you know I've seen nothing. <laughs> Thanks very much, James. The one, thing, one thing that I did watch was uh, the new season of Slow Horses. Have you seen oh. that series? It's so no. good. Now, this is Apple TV, is that right? Yes, on Apple TV. Mm. And it's just very, very good with... Uh, I don't want to... Um, talk too much about the series um but is with gary oldman you know gary oldman right and he's the lead he leads this group of spies that are like renegades of mi5 called slow horses and it's just a typical spy thriller but it's very very well done and the characters are great the dialogue is great the story the progression and it's just fun it's it's Mm. just just a very well-made series and um, yeah, it's it's very um, engaging. And uh, the last episode was, um, I think, on Wednesday. So that was really really great. I really enjoyed that. I recommend. Ooh. It's just a fun experience. It's not like a series that would. You know, it's not like Breaking Bad or anything like that. Ooh. But uh, it's just a great watch. Mm. We've we've just got uh, a three month free trial of. Uh, Apple oh, TV, so I'm making a mental list of make all the things we need to quickly watch before we need to start paying for it. Yeah, make the most of it. Yeah, that was very good. Uh, Andres? Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned not serious stuff, because the only thing I think I've <laughs> sort of seen, mostly through osmosis, walking through the room, is when my wife has been watching, um, is Project Runway. It's oh. a, like a, a fashion reality thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and yeah, that's it. I, I see bits and pieces. It's like so foreign to my world because I really don't care about fashion. And I, I find the whole uh, creation of just these extravagant pieces of clothing that no one will ever really wear. I think it's just <laughs> one of these wastes of human invention. But um, I want to be uh, empathetic to the contestants and the judges who take it very seriously. So um the thing about these series is very often they do grab me on, and the British, the Great British Baking Show is the worst one. I can't get through an episode without crying <laughs> puddles of tears. I um, love that one. I, I think Great most British of these, <laughs> these shows are very good at getting the humans. Andres, you pressed the mute button, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Let, let's send him a text message. Wait a second. Um, Durante. We can't hear you. It's something like extremely profound here, yes. Exactly. I sobbed when the model was going through the catwalk. I'm so disappointed it's not about building a new part of an airport, exactly. which, which really it should be. Like that, that I would like to see. So while we're waiting, I'll quickly yes. do my... Do it. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do my also play. Um, so I'm Go going to buck. It. I'm going to buck the trend. I actually watched a film this week. Did you? Yeah, unlike you guys, I watched um, the Vast of Night. It's a oh. it's a 2019 super low budget 1950s um, science, science fiction film. It's made for like I think seven hundred thousand dollars. So it's a low budget, not super super low micro budget, but low budget. Um, and it uh, has some absolutely incredible scenes in it it can't quite stick the landing set in the 1950s it all happens kind of at night in a small town um and people start seeing lights in the sky but most of the story is told through the point of view of this 16 year old girl who works as a telephone operator and there is especially one outstanding 15 minute scene i timed it it's 15 minutes the camera you know does not cut away it's all a single take it's just her on the switchboard plugging and unplugging her cables um, and connecting different people to the radio station and hearing their story and then connecting somebody else and talking to the guy at the radio station and then picking up this strange noise. It's just 15 minutes in a single take. Brilliant, fantastic scene. So skillfully made. Um, really, wow. really good. And That's then there's incredible. one other like, really outstanding tracking shot again, which I guess they put most of the budget into. Mm. So this tracking shot that tracks right across this small town, like in the middle of the night. Really, really brilliant. Oh, wow. It can't quite stick the landing, unfortunately, but it's a really interesting film. Sounds great. Am I back? Can you hear me? You are back. Okay. You are back. Yay. Yay. Um, did, did you accidentally mute or, I, I, or was what you were telling us far far too serious for our ears? I was getting very excited. I felt like I was running down the runway myself. I, I <laughs> kicked the wire right out of my microphone and that automatically... <laughs> That mutes the actual Google Meet as well. So it took me a little while to figure that one out. But I'm back. Oh, life. But life is stories, and that's what Project Runway does pretty well. They get into the stories of the various characters. And, and as we've seen, it's not easy to do in narrative. It's not easy to do in, in real life. So I didn't watch anything else. I'm I always find those... Um those reality programs have really good editors, right? Probably editing is... Precisely, yeah. yeah. That's yep. how they tell the story, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, first day of the new year, first podcast of the new year, a uh, couple of good films to start with. Not bad. A year's off to a good start. That's right. Um, Inesh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, how wonderful to do a podcast with an intelligent person who has something to say. That makes a real change for Andres and me. Seem, seem, obrigado, <laughs> obrigado. 
I hope you will enjoy. You will um, uh, join us at the popcorn popcorn counter mm. uh, next week, where we'll talk about I don't know some old nonsense. Um, until then, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, thank and you. We will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.